This is the Boots on the Ground Healthcare Podcast. Warning, this show contains graphic descriptions of life and death situations by people who experience them. The opinions of the host and the guests of this show are their own. Names of patients and patient identifiers are omitted or changed in accordance with HIPAA laws. All right, welcome to the show. Nicole, thanks for coming down. Absolutely. I know you had to drive super far and it's really cold outside. Yeah, it is cold. 36 uh, and snowing. Yeah, gosh, I thought we were done with that. It's like the end of March. I know, how about it? <sighs> um, so we have a thousand and one things to talk about. Cool. Um, so obviously we're going to get into that recent court case at some point, but let's start off. Let's talk about you a little bit. Let's get your background. Okay. Uh, let's talk about, you know, how long you've been in nursing, where your career has gone, your teaching uh, career and all of that. Okay. Um, so I actually started as a nursing assistant in my senior year of high school. So 2010, 2011. Um, and I was working, you know, just a co-op program. So I'd go to school half the day and then go to the hospital half the day. Got my feet wet and figured out, um, you know, I liked nursing and I liked caring for people. So I went to Penn College, um, in Williamsport, Pennsylvania College of Technology. Got my bachelor's degree right out of school. Um, I worked about a year and a half on a, um, step-down unit. So intermediate level of care, um, too sick for med surge, but not too sick enough Mm -hmm. for ICU patients, um, and then transitioned to the ICU, um, started working in a level one facility, level one trauma center, comprehensive stroke center, um, seeing lots of really cool things, lots of learning experiences. Um, I worked there for about three years or so, um, full time and transitioned to, um, taking, uh, travel nurse contracts as well as working at Geisinger. And then, um, Moved on from there, got my master's degree in nursing education um, while I was working at the bedside and started teaching actually at my alma mater. Okay, cool. Uh, so how long have you been doing the travel thing? Um, 2019 was my first contract. 2019. Okay, yeah. nice. Um, so you actually started the whole travel aspect before COVID. Yeah. Instead yep. of like falling into it during Before COVID, traveling like, was cool. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like everyone does now. <laughs> um, what drew you to traveling? Um, so I, obviously it wasn't going to be more so the money, like no. all, the, all the COVID travelers. Um, so it was a little bit the money because as a, a traveling nurse, even prior to COVID, you were making more than what you did as a staff nurse. Sure. Um, but it was just cool to work at different facilities and get out of my little hometown and kind of go and see different places. I've always been somebody that travels for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of took it as an advantage to go see the country and travel sure. at the same time. Just get out and yeah. go move around and. Get to See different work. stuff. Hell mm-hmm. yeah. Where was your favorite place you went? <clears throat> um, so I've done lots of Pennsylvania contracts. Um, and I did one in Connecticut and one in New York. Um, my Connecticut was probably my most fun contract. Um, I didn't really love the facility I was working at. Um, but I was living with my brother and hanging out with him and all of his friends and stuff. So that was the, the aspect that I liked. And I learned how to snowboard that season. <laughs> so <laughs> nice, kind of nice. kind of the, uh, the lifestyle was nice with it. Um, but there's a reason I always go back to the facility that was home for me. So that's probably sure, my yeah. favorite place that I have worked so far. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and you mostly work in intensive care? Yes. Okay, yeah. cool. With your experience in traveling and your um, bouncing around, like what kind of differences are you seeing in different institutions in the ICU? Um, just like what varies the most, maybe? Um, I guess just how the facility itself works and the policies. Um, healthcare 
is widely different um, at every facility you work at. So things you would think would be standard, you know, just like how we provide care um, is very different, especially facility to facility and state to state. Mm -hmm. Um, And your nursing scope of practice is very different in different states of like what you can and can't do as a general RN at the bedside. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you wish it was more standardized? Do you like that it's different? Um, I don't really, it doesn't really bother me because I know that it's different. So I have to, you know, know what the laws are of where I'm going. Um, but I feel like a lot of people don't realize that so much. Um, <clears throat> so in the state of Pennsylvania, as a nurse, um, not trained in anesthesia um, and not being an advanced practitioner, I can't push like propofol. I can run propofol um, the, like as a general anesthetic for a continuous sedation. Um, but I cannot give it as like an IV bolus if my patient would, let's say, have trouble with the ventilator or would wake up wigging out or something like that. I can't sedate that patient that way. Um, where I've actually seen at a lot of facilities um, in different places, there's nurses that don't know that that's a scope of practice thing, even inside of our own state. So it's kind of interesting. And I, I feel like for better healthcare, I guess, um, you know, across the board, it would be nice if it was kind of across the board in every state, here's what you can and can't do. Um, kind of like as like sure. a, a national licensure type thing. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately we don't have that. And so, yeah, it's kind of a weird <clears throat> scenario where you have a lot of people moving around, especially now in healthcare where you have a bunch of gray areas, um, that sort of, you can do it in one state, or it's totally different in another state, or it's different in an institution yeah. for a different policy. Uh, we had an issue not too long ago where we had a nurse in the ICU giving NEBS to patients um, because she thought it was her thing. Mm. And there was this whole big hullabaloo, and we had this problem, and people got written up about it, people got talked to, and there were hands that were slapped, and many, many wrists got very many slappy slappies. Sure. Yeah. And it was super not good, but it's like inconsequential because it's a neb. Sure. And it's interesting that you say that because um, I've given nebs multiple times through my ventilator because especially during COVID because nobody wanted to go in my room if I was already in there. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to waste PPE and stuff. So um, I guess it's like a facility dependent. And this is one thing that my nursing students absolutely hate when I tell them is it you know, go back to your facility protocol. Like, what's your protocol at that facility? What are you allowed to do there? Right. Yeah. So. so, all right. So let's get into that then next, I guess. Um, well, there's a couple of ways we could do this. What do we, what do we want to talk about next? Go we ahead. Talk about the, uh, let, let's hit the, uh, the court case all right. that uh, just came up. So I have it pulled up here uh, just because I want to get into this because it's fun. Um, it's something it's controversial. <clears throat> it's gross. It's it makes you roll your eyes. Yeah. Um, so we have a, a slippery slope. We have a court case that came out of, I believe, Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Redonda vault. If I'm saying that right. Redonda vault. Sure. Sure. Fine. <laughs> um, is a nurse who in 2017 had administered uh, I believe it was Verset, or no, she, she attempted to give Verset, but she get, administered Vecuronium, and she allegedly caused the patient to die um, d- 
due to her own negligence. Sure. And this is a massive case in the not only just news and everything right now, but also specifically in nursing. Because nursing is feeling like they can't make mistakes now and they're going to be liable for all kinds of issues. <clears throat> there seems to be a social media precedent where people are saying that they're going to be held responsible now for any sort of med-related incident or med problem. So what do you think about all this? Are we are we going down a, a bad place here? Is this a slippery slope? I feel like it can be a slippery slope here, but I feel like I'm kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place when it comes to this. So as a bedside nurse, you know, it's it's our job. We're the last line of defense. So if a provider or someone, even a pharmacist, verifies a medication that says, yep, you're good to give that medicine, and I give it to my patient, and my patient dies from it, that's my fault. That comes back on me as the bedside nurse. Despite a physician who has you know, generally many more years than I do of education and a pharmacist who has, again, many more years, especially of education, especially in medicine mm -hmm. than I do. Um, I, I mean, I have four years of general nursing and most of your nurses we have out there are two and four year degree students who, sure. um, you know, other than their bedside experience, they only had a 16 week course maybe in pharmacology. Right. Yeah. Um, so it comes back on us as the bedside nurse with that problem. And I think that there's a, a big miss there, um, you know, as the nurses being generally the one held accountable for that mistake. Um, but as a nursing educator and as a bedside nurse, it is the most important thing that you can do is to check your medications. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times... Uh, people will read a headline and they won't totally understand what's going on in a case and they won't understand that there's multiple sides here sure. and the whole reason this podcast exists is to explain how a lot of what you hear and see in healthcare isn't exactly as cut and dry as the news media makes it sound so i'm going to read some of the article here and we'll dive into sort of explaining how and why this can come about and what we think sort of sucks in this case and what sort of actually, you know, realistically where problems lie and how this got so icky. Um, so this is a, uh, Redonda Vault is a former nurse who is cl uh, criminally pro prosecuted for a fatal drug error in 2017. And the whole crux of it was she was ordered to give Versed, which is a fairly mild sedative. It's a benzodiazepine uh, used to help you relax for minor surgery, dental work, or some other, some such medical procedure. We use it for conscious sedation a lot. And it's used, like you said, conscious sedation, even in your friggin' dentist's office. Uh, when compared to Vecuronium, this is different because Vecuronium is actually used to relax your muscles. Uh, it works by blocking signals in your nerves and your muscles. So this is going to be used uh, before general anesthesia and preparing you for surgery. Uh, it also keeps your body still during surgery. Uh, so you can see right away, this is two totally different medications with two totally different um, seriousness of administration. 
So if I can add to that just real quick. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Versed is, uh, like you said, a benzodiazepine. It helps, you know, relax. It's an anti-anxiolytic. It kind of helps people just kind of relax, chill out, and go into that conscious, like, twilight zone area um, where we can do, like, colonoscopies and, you know, bedside procedures where we're allowing that patient to be calm. We're able to safely get the procedure done that we need done. Um, without that patient really having any remembering of um, the procedure itself, where your vecuronium is actually a paralytic. So it doesn't just complete, it doesn't just relax your muscles, it completely knocks them out. So that patient is completely paralyzed with a ve- mm. um, so with your vecuronium. So the problem with that is it's not selective in what muscles it relaxes. It actually will relax all of your muscles. So in our body, we have multiple types of muscle. So it relaxes your smooth muscle um, and your skeletal muscle. Um, And the problem with that is, is it will also um, relax your respiratory muscles. So your respiratory muscles are considered skeletal muscles and, um, you know, smooth muscle where we don't have a ton of control over them, but that medicine will actually knock out your body's control of that. So that patient will no longer be able to breathe unless you take over for them. Right. So hence the anesthesia point. So what do we do when we have a patient under anesthesia? We give them a airway. Sure. So we intubate the patient. We put them on a mechanical ventilator or we bag them with an ambu bag. And in this instance, what happened from what I can tell from these articles is that this patient was given the uh, vecuronium and then sent to, I believe, an MRI or some sort of brain scan test where then she was found brain dead, either in the scanner or some other thing. I don't know all the details. I'm not going to hypothesize on whatever happened there because I know that you know when you transport a patient, you're also paying attention to them and you would have somebody with this patient at all times. Absolutely. I don't know if the nurse was absent from the patient transport or absent from the scan or what, because I know from a fact that they were going to be attached to a monitor specifically coming out from the ICU. Oh, absolutely. Um, but the fact that a patient could be given two drugs now... I've screwed it up twice, but that's because I'm reading off my laptop <laughs> and I have them in two different tabs here. Uh, they both start with V. Yeah. But that's kind of where the similarity ends. One's a short word. One's a long word. Sure. One is, uh, you know, for totally different anesthesia. It's actually not even legally allowed to be given by a nurse, correct? Uh, vecuronium, yeah. It, you can. Oh, you can? Yep. Nurses are allowed yeah, to Yeah, so <laughs> this is another thing, um, like I was saying earlier, with our scope of practice. So in the state of Pennsylvania, I can paralyze a patient, but I can't adequately sedate a patient with um, a general anesthetic. So you always want to have your patient sedated before you paralyze them. Um, because that would be really cruel if you didn't. Right, they'd be awake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'd be awake and they'd be feeling all that. <laughs> Um, so you always want to sedate them before you paralyze them, but I can't push a lot of, um, there's actually, I believe three, um, sedatives that I am as a nurse, I'm not allowed to push because they're classified as a general anesthetic. Okay. So in your experience, I guess you've given these, both of these, obviously, um, what sort of, uh, cautions do you have when drawing these out of your 
med thing. All right, I'm gonna go on yeah. a little ta- a little rant here. This sounds good. <laughs> I apologize. So. Yep. So as a nurse, um, as a nurse and as a nursing instructor, the three there's steps when we pull out medications. So we want to make sure that we are first verifying the five rights medications. So the right dose, the right route, um, you know, how we're giving the medicine at the right time. Um, you know, there's many different steps that we need to take to ensure that we're doing the proper thing. As well as we have three medication checks built into how we pull our medicines out and when we draw our medications out of um, either your Pixis, your OmniCell, or whatever type of you know device the facility has that stores those medications. So um, the three rights or the three medication checks. Um, and my nursing students tell me this all the time. They're like, "Man, this seems so redundant to do this." They're like, "I just." I just pulled the medication and did one check on it, which when you do a check, what you what a check consists of is you're checking the name of the medication, you're checking the dosage of the medication, the route of the medication, the time of the medication, um, making sure you know all of the adverse effects that you need to monitor for when you give this medicine. Um, so they, my students tell me, they're like, I just did that. I just verified it to my MAR, so your medication administration record. I just verified it to that, and it never left my hand. Why do I need to do another one? Um, I just drew it up and did another one. Why do I need to do a third one? And this is the exact reason why you need to do this. We're human. We make errors, right? Um, unfortunately, medication errors happen in the hospital, whether it's the physician ordered sure. a medicine on the wrong patient um, mm-hmm. and you didn't question it, um, whether the medicine, you know, you drew the wrong medicine. Um, you know, things happen as humans, errors occur. Um, but this is the safeguards that are built into that. So we can try to keep that patient as safe as possible. So through those medication checks, yeah, that vial never left your hand, but maybe you missed something the first time. Sure, sure. And another issue that I find significant with this case is if you don't know, ask. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't know, use your resources to find out that answer. So yeah, um, you know, we have medications. So there's two different names of every medication. We have a trade name and a generic name, right? Mm -hmm. So your generic names are... As you can tell, tell with Vecuronium, that's the generic name of it. And uh, the generic name of Versed <clears throat> is Midazolam. So your generic names are usually harder to remember. They're longer. They're a bunch of letters. I don't know who names them and comes up with them. But they're never <laughs> easy a, to remember. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so your trade names are always easier to remember, like Tylenol and mm-hmm. acetaminophen, right? So it's right. the same medication. <clears throat> but the problem is, is you learn one usually and because it's so much easier. So not knowing both of those medications. So if I would have went to that Omnicell and not seen and typed in Versed and not seen the exact word there, right? personally, I'm going to go look up what Versed is if I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take those extra two seconds or two minutes even to look up on Google. I mean, even ask Siri, like, 
what is the generic name of Versed? It's going to yeah. tell you and then you're going to be able to easily draw out that medication. Um, so doing – that's part of that check. So grabbing a drug book, grabbing, you know, Google, grabbing even a peer that knows if somebody – if you're not comfortable with that medication, mm-hmm. um, you know, doing your due diligence to make sure that you don't harm a patient. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I want to point out real quick, it looks like this um, case – was not during a code or any sort of emergent procedure. So uh, I don't want to put the words in the mouth of other people or, or, you know, say something that's incorrect, but I feel like this was a fairly benign case where the patient was stable. So from my understanding... Oh, God, sorry. And that the, you know, the generic knee-jerk reaction of, oh, well, you know, emergent things happen in healthcare. I don't think that really applies to this case. Because this feels like the patient was already stable and was just getting a normal supposed dose to un, to go to a fairly standard procedure. That's my understanding of it as well. Um, but my other you know caveat to that is, from what I understand and what I've read, is the facility was um, going through a changeover in their um, their machine. Um, so mm. they had to override all of the medications to pull out. So typically, um, we have orders that get filled into that uh, machine, whether it's your Pixis, your OmniCell, whatever it is that they that facility has, um, where your orders will be in there already programmed for you. So all you have to do is hit that medication, and it you know it opens that correct drawer, and then you do your med checks on it. You do your three med checks and whatnot, but Um, From what I understand, this facility, that wasn't working because they were having some sort of – they were either redoing their their, um, technology or they were not programmed in appropriately for some reason and she had to override the medication, which we do with a lot of our – like life-saving emergent medications, we have the ability to override that. So we don't have to wait for a doctor to put that order in in a um, life-sustaining situation. Um, the problem is, is she overrode the wrong medication. So there was no safeguard built into that technology there to help her. Um, so that was one miss there. So it sounds like with the system, I think a lot of people are trying to blame either the system for how the, you know, the bypass had to occur. But we know that there's certain times that either the system updates or it's not compatible with what we're trying to do, or there's a new system entirely. I don't know if all of those totally apply um, or what, like, amount of wiggle room we have in this case. But as a licensed professional, you still have to look at the goddamn label. Yeah, yeah, man. (laughs) That's, like, like what I teach first-year nursing students. Like, after I teach them how to find a pulse and how to check a blood pressure and, you know, count their vital signs... The next thing we do is here's how you do a medication check. Sure. You check the name. Like first, number one, if you don't know it, go grab your goddamn drug book and look it up. Yeah. Go grab Google and look it up. Right. I I really have issue with that. Like that's one of the most important things that we do. And I tell my nursing students, if you don't know, ask. I, contrary to popular belief and popular saying, there are dumb questions. Yeah, there's dumb questions. Sure. Like people always are like, oh, there's never a dumb question. I, There are dumb questions in my opinion, but 
I'd rather you ask me a very, very dumb question that you should have known the answer to. Rather than act dumbly. Yeah, (laughs) and hurt someone. Like, patient safety is, like, one of the things I will hop on a pedestal about. (laughs) I I think one of the other things, too, is that uh, Vecuronium uh, or Vanco, one of them is, uh, like, a fluid and bile, and the other one was, like, a... um, like a powder that had to be mixed in a solution. Uh, so, yeah, vecuronium usually needs to be reconstituted. So, if you're already doing other steps. So, <laughs> I, again, I don't know a ton about this case. And I remember hearing about it years ago, like when it first happened. Um, I feel like this nurse didn't know that medicine like wasn't comfortable with it didn't know the two medications real well Mm. and just like looked at the back of the vial okay here's what i need to do to mix this powder and reconstitute it to give it um so that's number one problem right like if you don't know your medicine go ask somebody (laughs) like if you don't know go ask like take that you know time go ask if it if you get to your scan five minutes late, they're still going to scan your patient. Right. Like they may not be happy that you threw off their schedule, but at least your patient didn't die. Right. So. Well, and a lot of times too, in like a generic setting, you're not thinking your patient's going to die when you give a med. Sure. A lot of times, like you have to understand too, there's, there's so many distractions in healthcare. Now this is pre COVID. This is 2017 when this took place, I believe. Yep. Uh, so we didn't even have TikTok then. So we can't chalk that up. <laughs> that wasn't a thing. Um, so, you know, back in 2017 when she's handling whatever she's doing, um, who knows where her mind was? I'm not going to say, but you know, you could be talking to somebody, you could be looking at your phone. Somebody could be talking to you. Um, you could have had a rough day, you know, you could come up with any number of things to be in the way for why you weren't thinking clearly. Sure. Um, so in that, in that regard, what do we do? You know, like what? what's, how do we fix this? You know, I don't know. There's that, distractions that happen. Yeah. I don't know that there's a great answer. Um, you know, if you look at the area where you prepare your medications, there's usually like a box on the floor that it's like yellow or green or something that says, you know, don't talk to me. You're not supposed to talk to anybody. Nobody's supposed to talk to you while you're in that box getting your medications. Um, you know, that's that's great in theory. Does it happen? Absolutely not. Like, right. you know, I think the biggest issue here is that med checks weren't done appropriately like they should have been. Um, you know, that's not on, you know, the facility that sh- this nurse didn't do her medication checks. I'm not saying that the facility doesn't have any responsibility. They should have, you know, had some sort of safeguard in place um, while their system was updating or whatever it was doing. Um, you know, I'm not, the blame isn't completely on the nurse here, but unfortunately, again, like I said earlier, you know, the, the responsibility comes back on that nurse. She's the one that gave the medicine. She didn't ask the appropriate questions. She didn't do what she needed to, to, you know, not be negligent. Right. Yeah. That's, it's just so tough because even she knew that she screwed up. She yeah. self-reported. Yeah. She brought in all of the checks and balances that she needed to on her end and then for some reason we're only finding out this now that there was a whole other bunch of issues that came into play and she was only um uh 
you know, charged here in 2022. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really know why, but ugh. it's just totally unfortunate and ridiculous. Uh, what do you think the, uh, the nursing response to like, so on social media is with this? I understand both sides of it here. So I feel like, um, there's a lot of people out there that are kind of in my, my mindset with it where, you know, there was definitely error that occurred. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot of coworkers and other nurses that I know who are saying, man, I would not want to be a bedside nurse right now. This set like a very slippery slope or a bad precedence for nurses. I don't think this nurse was used as a martyr. I think she was held accountable for her actions. Um, you know, I don't know that criminally negligent homicide is the appropriate. I mean, I'm I'm not a lawyer by any means. I don't, I don't know or a judge. I'm, I don't know what would be, you know, a, an appropriate type um, offense but or right. sentencing. But um, this is like a gross negligent effect or offense. Like she, this could have easily not happened to this patient. Um, but I, you know, again, I only know what I know from reading articles and social media. And sure. And so being removed. Right. Time and space away from the case. Right. So um, I did see like the family didn't even want her charged criminally. Um, and I believe there was a, a one of the articles that I read. I don't I can't so- source it. I don't have it with me. Um, but they said a comment about, um, you know, the patient died of natural causes. So it wasn't necessarily in that person's article wasn't necessarily related to the medication error that the person or the patient died from um but i you know again i only know what i know from articles so right it's very difficult i saw a facebook post where some people were talking about uh some issues with medicare and medicaid and that the institution didn't actually follow up and send along the accurate uh death um didn't report the death for like a year or something, or it was never reported. Uh, let's see here. As like a sentinel event, you mean? Right. Uh, I saw that there was an anonymous tip that was provided um, that led to her arrest. Yeah, it's tough to say. I don't want to speculate with like bullshit from Facebook. Sure. Because I don't know what these people know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And whether it's the institution that didn't actually cross T's and dot I's. Sure. Whether they try to cover their ass, like that's a whole different level of just shenanery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do know that happens and we do know that that is actually really prevalent because we saw all the COVID cases. Sure. That were, uh, you know, either assigned to death when they weren't actually really caused by a COVID death or they weren't actually uh, attributed correctly to whatever thing you know we we had talked about the um died with covid versus died from covid sure, yeah. thing that's been talked about in media for a long time right now i don't know if this patient totally and completely died from the uh vecuronium overdose i don't know what the dose given was right yeah um and who who totally knows so uh, this is one of those cases where, given limited insight, you can't really totally judge sure. the whole of nursing perfect the whole of the nursing profession. Oh yeah, absolutely. On one singular case. Yeah, and you know, 
you can't judge the rest of us on one error that one nurse made. Um, there's, I work with a lot of phenomenal nurses, especially over the course of my eight years in different facilities that, you know, do their med checks like they're supposed to. So, um, there's a lot of us out there that take patient safety, like as the most serious thing on the face of the planet. And there's, and even like the most casual nurse, like we're talking about a nurse who passed all of her stuff, all of her boards, all of her tests to become a nurse. Like, she clearly knows the process. This isn't an education standpoint. She had her orientation. She was working in the ICU. This is literally a slip-up where all of the issues happened at one time to cause this perfect scenario of a major problem to happen. Yeah, it's like the perfect storm. And it's really unfortunate because everybody, like, everybody screws shit up. Like, I I have cases where, like, I've screwed up stuff at my job. Sure. Um like, it's really no big deal uh, for a lot of them because a lot of times what happens is you have a system that catches you. Right. Uh, so for, like, for instance, if I were to scan the wrong med under a patient's chart, um, in our system, what happens is all of our medications have a barcode. And this is no different than if you go to a self-checkout at the grocery store. Correct. And I pick up the can of green beans and I scan it. It goes, kadunk. And it gives you the can of green beans and it shows you, you know, your price and all of that, which is essentially synonymous with the dosage and the product type and the name of the drug. It's basically the same thing. So this is no different than if you were to pick up something else like your, like, I don't know, pick another thing like your candy bar. You scan your, your candy bar and it says, this is a candy bar. When you thought maybe you were picking up, like, your can of green beans. Sure. Like, it, it's literally different. It will literally show you a actual different thing. Uh, the reason I'm beating this to a dead horse is it's incredibly logical how the system is built to work. Yeah, they so try to make it safety. If Idiot you're actually proof. following your brain-dead procedures, all you have to do is pick up a drug, scan it, and it will say... It'll approve it. Uh, it will say, you know, green and good to go. Or it'll give you this, like, red sort of, like, caution, like, wrong drug scan or med not available at this time or, like, <laughs> med not available under this patient. Yeah, med not And then ordered. you go, oh, I have to click a button. And it doesn't let you proceed further. Now, could you physically give the medication after you click the wrong medication? Like, sure. But you're supposed to be paying attention to what the hell you're doing. Right. In our electronic charting, the next thing you do is you scan your medication, you click your accept button, and it goes and it documents it in your med delivery area of your chart. And then you go and administer your drug. Um, Some things are different. And for some nursing drugs, it actually requires you to go back and forth between your... um, your IV drip and your IV pole where you have to, you physically have to actually scan the IV pole, then punch in the patient's weight and the dosage. And then you have to go back to the IV pole and scan the dosage into the IV pole. And it creates this whole big conundrum of steps that you have to follow just to give a stupid freaking drug. Sure. But it's safety. But it's safety. So the next part that I want to talk about here is how do we actually... What, what's the argument for fixing this? Is the argument building less human computer system where we have 
even more layers of checks and balances. Um, I don't actually know. I don't know what this facility was doing in 2017 where this happened, and I don't know what they were updating. But I can tell you right now that in 2022, we have a lot of systems in place that keep you from administering a drug incorrectly. Sure. For instance, uh, in the respiratory world, we have a lot of uh, aerosol breathing treatments that we give. And a lot of times you're just going along doing your med rounds and you will pick up a pulmicort and you'll scan it, not realizing that your patient is supposed to get performist. And you're like, oh, <laughs> wrong one. So you click the X and you go, whoops. And you go click and you scan the performist. So you didn't give it. You looked at your system and you realized that while these two drugs are almost similar in name, they're not totally similar. And it's tech, it's literally the wrong drug. So what you do is you realize, oh, whoops, I've scanned this wrong. This is not the right drug. It's still in a silver foil packaging. But all I have to do is click off the red X, scan the right one, and then go deliver the right one. Right. While making sure that you actually have the right one in your hands. Yeah. that's That, um, that goes back to that med check that I was talking about. So... You know, the system only checks so much and the system can only catch so much. If we put another line of defense on that, what what could you imagine we would do? I mean, for certain medications, we have to have two nurses sign off on it to verify that, you know, it is the appropriate medication. Um, unfortunately, I don't think that's a realistic uh, way to move on from here. Um, just do double checks on every, every medication. Right. Med like I don't, there's not enough time for Tylenol. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's not enough time in the day. There's not enough staff to be there and say, yep, like, you know, two nurses to do one med pass, especially in, you know, the ICU. You mean there's, there's, there's not enough nurses? <laughs> there, no, definitely not. In 2022, we don't have enough nurses? Not even what? close. What? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, that's a nice problem that we have right now. Right. Um, and, you know, I think this case is going to make that nursing shortage a little bit worse even. Oh, yeah. So, why wouldn't it? Right. So, you know, COVID made it worse because who the hell wants to be a nurse during COVID, right? right. <laughs> like who wants to go into healthcare right now um, in general, let alone just a nurse? Uh, and then I think this is going to make it even worse where, you know, you're you're so afraid to make that mistake that you don't want to cause a patient harm for sure like you know my goal every day that i go to work is to you know make my patient better you know and help them achieve the goals sure, that right. they have not to harm them anymore um but i think this is going to make that nursing shortage even worse like you know they're talking about capping nurses salaries and now they're you know attaching you know criminal charges to things that we do to that mistakes. yeah yeah so it's it's pretty um pretty interesting what's happening right now yeah, uh, it's definitely problematic when you look at the fact that in order to be effective as a healthcare facility, you need adequate staffing. Sure. Like this is a huge point and a major contention that people have with healthcare right now. Yeah. Um, if we're not going to ag adequately staff our institutions, um, how are we even going to deliver quality care? Sure. If we can't get people in front of staff. And that brings another thing, right? So if we have less staff and we're not providing good quality care, 
you know, my next thing is, is we're going to see more of these errors occurring. We're going to see people that they're rushing through because they have, a, you know, a crazy amount of patients. Even if we're not talking ICU, there's med surge units right now that are taking like eight and nine patients because they don't have the staff um, to care for the patients that are there. Um, so I think that we're going to see more errors occurring. And I think nurses are going to be afraid to report errors now. Yeah, that that could definitely be. Um it's always kind of uh, difficult to admit that you do something wrong, especially professionally. Sure, absolutely. Um, it's it's definitely difficult to be accountable because no one wants to be actually wrong. Right. But I think what people need to understand is it's more important to be wrong in a minor area than it is to be wrong in something major like this. Sure, absolutely. So if you're going to have the humility to understand that you're a human and you're a fallible person who... It makes mistakes from time to time. You need to be aware of your own imperfection and realize like, oh yeah, you know what? Sometimes I screw shit up. So let me pay attention real quick. Yeah. And let's learn how to grow from it and how to not make that mistake again. Sure. Absolutely. Um, actually, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten from my supervisors is that I take criticism really well. Yeah. One of the examples I have of me getting talked to about screwing some shit up was uh, with our asthma protocol for kids. We had to assess children after they completed their their med delivery. So we would assess them pre-treatment, and then we would assess them post-treatment. Sure. And when I went through the training, um, there's always a delay between when you actually get your treatment or your training, and then you actually put it into practice. Right. So, you know, whatever amount of time that I was removed from getting the training and then actually executing it, um, I didn't realize that in the emergency department, um, something was different than it was in-house. The case was that I didn't realize, for whatever reason, that respiratory had to do a post-treatment assessment with the nurse. I had thought that there was an initial assessment, they would get the treatment, and then they would be admitted, or something like that. And for whatever reason, I just didn't do... I never like entered the patient assessment score into the system post treatment. Okay. And they were like, Oh yeah, this is the thing you have to do. Da 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 da. I was like, Oh, I didn't know I had to do that. I did the past score. I thought in, in the inpatient setting was when you did the pre and post scores. I didn't realize that was supposed to happen post-treatment. I thought it was Q2 or Q4 or something like that. Sure. And, you know, you talk to your your um, supervisor and they're like, oh, okay, I see that you thought this, it was this, try to do this next time. Okay, right. no problem. Literally never had a problem. It was literally just a, a case of like a literal misunderstanding for how the procedure was supposed to work. Sure. And... You know, it's it's just my own self realizing like, oh, OK, here's the thing that I can do to follow the procedure properly. Right. It Like it's not an attack on your personal self. And I think a lot of people have this like vulnerability where they're afraid to take input and they can't oh, sure. be the bad guy or yeah. something or like, oh, God, they got in trouble at work. Like you're not being talked to like you're five. Right. You're being talked to in a professional manner where they're saying, hey, listen, like, here's a procedure that we're expecting you to follow in X sort of way. Right. 
Hopefully, just do this. Hopefully you're being treated like a professional adult, well, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Right. Um, so like, I don't understand why some people feel so bad about screwing something up or something like that. Or, you know, like getting talked to or like, hey, you, you messed something up. Like, here, check it out. Like, man, I feel like it's, it's not a personal attack. Like, but I feel like it's I attack myself. Right. So like I I've made errors before. We all have. Um, and, you know, in nursing school, they told me that going through. They're like, you're going to make an error at some point. Like it happens. Sure. Right. And, you know, when I finally did make my error, um, I. I struggled with myself because I knew better, right? Oh, yeah. So like, absolutely. And I didn't want to harm. And a lot of it comes back to I could have caused harm to that patient. So I was really beating myself up more than anything that I made that stupid error and I could have potentially caused that harm to that patient. Um, you know, again, like we said, we're human, you know, but and that goes back to that fundamental belief of like, hopefully you're in healthcare because you want to help people, right? Like, right. And part of the point of being in healthcare is you want to problem solve. Right. Yeah. So one of the problems with problem solving is figuring out whether or not you're a variable in sure. the equation of problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> so if you suck, <laughs> yeah. like you got to figure something out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, uh, I've always wanted to explore like whether or not there's ways we could do things differently. Sure. And I get really bored if I find the system to be like an arduous or like just some sort of um, more complex than it needs to be system. And I get really frustrated with that. And I'm constantly talking to people, supervisors, sending emails Saying like, hey, why can't we do this when this happens? Why does this have to be this way? Why does this have to be that way? Bureaucratic red tape, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's like a lot of times people put out something because there's dumb people that exist and they're just trying to rule out the dumb. And the, unfortunately, this is what happened. This is why nursing has so much red tape and there's so many checks and balances in nursing is because you literally, no matter what you do, you will have mistakes made that sure. will take a person's life. Somebody made a mistake along the way that caused that policy to be put in place or caused right. that, you know, scanning to be put in place. Somebody yeah. made that error. And, you know, if you want to dive headfirst into a three-foot pool, like, be my guest. Like, come on. That's why there's a reason why it says, please don't dive into the pool headfirst. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's a reason uh. why on... Uh, coffee cups it says contents hot right <laughs> right i saw one today my friend sent me it said um it was on a pizza box and it said please remove pizza from box before eating yeah it's like oh my god or like the warnings on like the frozen pizza it's like remove the cardboard yeah yeah so it it's a major problem um and i don't think there's any good answer to how to fix it no and there's not so that yeah the good answer is to pay attention to what the hell you're doing and only get into the profession if you actually intend on being a nurse. Yeah, yeah. Or not you know, because the money's good. Right. And is the money good? Question mark. Because <laughs> not really. No, no. People think like, it is. Unless you're in traveling, but that money's so, not going to hang around too much and longer. And it's COVID traveling specifically. <laughs> yeah. Like, ugh. Like I had a guest on earlier uh, where we talked about COVID money and he was ecstatic for how much money he was making. And it was just ridiculous. It was like three to four times more than he'd made before. Sure. And you know, it's, it's not all more. well and good, but you got to understand that comes from a supply and demand issue. We don't have a supply of nurses and we have a demand for patient care. So the 
fucking pay is gonna go up. It's inflation. Like, <laughs> it's literally it's the definition be. of inflation. So if you want your healthcare costs to go down, maybe consider having more nurses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but again, the, the the systems are so broken right now. Who wants who wants to go into this? Well, and I think that's kind of the that's an interesting question too, because when you look at a lot of nurses, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things you could look at. One, predominantly, you have mostly women. Sure. It's about 83%, uh, according to, I believe, Statista, uh, in nursing specifically, or maybe that's healthcare as a whole. You have to understand, like, most people are getting into nursing because they're empathetic people who want to help people. Sure. And they view this as a way to do that. But then what happens when they're a nurse? Burnout. They get burned out because they're short-staffed, they're stressed, they're... they're they're the lie of being told, oh, you're only going to have to work three twelves a week. Yeah, it's great. 36 it hours. so prevalent. <laughs> 72 hours per pay. I think this is a giant ball of bullshit in the nursing profession. And let me tell you why. When you work 72 hours, you're not actually reaching the cusp of overtime. Sure. Overtime is paid at 80 hours. So, when you're working 72 hours, you can literally work eight more hours without being paid overtime. Correct. So, if you come in extra for eight hours, you're paid standard time. Right. You're paid standard time. If I pick up an extra 12, that's only four hours of overtime. Four hours of overtime. So, why do I do it? And, on top of that, when you give report. How many times do you give a report where you actually get out on time? Me personally? <laughs> Most, I mean, nursing as a whole. Nursing as a whole, uh, probably never. <laughs> because uh, there's lots of different areas. Sure. Right? In the environments that I work in, um, you know, in the ICU and most of the facilities that I worked at, they have um, a buffer time built into the beginning of your shift and the end of your shift. So typically you'll say nurses work seven to seven, right? So we work that 12-hour, 7A to 7P, but there's you're not technically allowed to clock out until 7.30. So your day shifters can't clock out until 7.30 at night. Your night shifters can't clock out until 7.30 in the morning. That gives you that half-hour time to, you know, report. Well, that's accounted for your lunch, too. Sure, sure. But, you know, report starts at 7, so you have a half an hour to give report on your patients. Um, You know, and in my environment, we typically only have, like, anywhere from one to three patients in the ICU because they're so sick. Um, and a lot of times it takes longer than that because they're so sick to give that report because mm-hmm. there's so much detail. So much stuff to go over. Right, so much minutia and things that we need to talk about. And, you know, in the ICU, I want to know everything that's happened to this patient from, you know, day one coming into the hospital and like what day they had what procedure done. <laughs> what sure. what did and- they do? Because it makes such a big difference. But out on these med search floors and stuff right now, I some of my nursing students that are already, you know, LPNs that are going back to school for their RN, they're caring for like nine patients, man. Nine? Yeah. like Holy shit. Yeah. There's some of the uh, acute, like the um, assignments right now are just absolutely ridiculous. They're taking like eight and nine patients. Now, mind you, they're paired with an RN, but still that's a lot of patients for two nine nurses. fucking patients. Yeah. Yeah. So – they're 
they need to know all of those details for those how? nine patients. How can you know that? They can't. Like, what do you That's know other than like they're on three liters of oxygen, they can get up and walk to the bathroom by themselves. And they're a full coat. <laughs> and they're a full coat, right. And how do you keep it straight? You don't. You right. screw it up all the time. Yeah, exactly. Again, like, staffing. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's a That's, staffing oh, issue. God. So back to my original point about the hours worked. So, Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> if, I, I just want to get this out there because I think this is actually a valuable thing that I think the nursing profession needs to look at. Uh, when you work your 312s and you work your, your 72 hours of pay, mm-hmm. you already have a built-in buffer of eight hours that you can work extra before you get overtime. Right. This is specifically why I work two H212s so that I work 80 hours per pay. Any minute later is overtime. So what happens is if I'm required to come in for anything or if I'm required to stay late for anything, it is overtime. Right. They're paying me more. So there's none of this, oh, well, I work for standard time or, oh, I worked an hour late or, oh, I worked an hour early. The whole nursing profession literally sets them up themselves up to be taken advantage of because they have this buffer of eight extra hours that they can just build in without working actual overtime so if you figure you can work a whole hour extra on each shift without without being paid overtime right i think that sucks for nursing and i think that sucks for nurses as a whole because what happens is you can never get out quote on time right especially if you have some floor where you're doing um the the stroke assessments sure and you have to go through all these patients and you have to check their neuro status on every single patient yeah this usually requires you to do it with your oncoming nurse so right. that you can verify things coming in and and out and you verify everything straight up so you're setting a baseline right so you're setting a baseline and now certain areas of nursing this may not matter but nursing as a whole especially ICU, critical care, where you have these demands for your patients, I think economically, nurses would be better off if they tried to and specifically attempted to work 80 hours per pay scheduled. So that way, the institution then would be forced to actually realize that if they're not getting people out on a scheduled time, they wouldn't have they would actually be hit where it counts, which is the financial area. Sure. Problem is, is staffing. It all goes back to staffing. Yeah. So if you work two twelves and two eights, who's going to cover those four hours on the day you work an eight? So you te- technically need like um, another FTE, so mm-hmm. um, like a full time equivalent pay, uh, staff member sure. to pick up that time, and we don't have the we don't have the hands to do it. Oh, I know, absolutely. Yeah. I think that if you had more people working, see, here's the thing that sort of allows you to have the 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 72 hours per pay it's easier to schedule people coming in at seven out at seven in at seven out of seven and you just have a rolling schedule like that right but also you can do that when you have two h two twelves so if you had your 80 hours people you're getting more people per pay more hours from people if you would just line them up. Now, it might be a little bit more work for a manager to take 10, 10 nurses and schedule two H212s through a scheduling block sure. than, uh, you know, than just uh, doing the 12 hours. But I think it's a more, quote, fair way and a more 
adequate way to actually pay nurses for when they stay late. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some facilities, if you make it past your 12 and a half hours, so like your 12 hours with your lunch included, um, you actually get overtime past those 12 hours. So for That'd be an interesting thing if they, yeah. they actually did that. There are some facilities that do that. I don't know of any that do. I'm sure there's some that do. I'm sure that there's some that have two H212s. I'm sure that right. they have different starting points than seven to seven. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of this is ideas. Right. Yeah. So, um, Man, you know, I, if, if that's an idea that works. I don't want to go to work another day, though, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting for me because... I don't mind going to work that extra day because I have a schedule where I never work more than three days in a row. So I'm on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, off uh, Thursday, Friday, work Saturday, Sunday, off uh, Monday, Tuesday, work Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, off Saturday, Sunday. Sure. And that's my block. Now, I don't have a problem with that. Some people think it's chaotic. Um, my schedule also bounces around on my eights where my eight hour shifts bounce between evening shift and night shift. Sure. So that can be difficult for some people. For me, I love it because I love the flexibility. Right. Uh, also, I like being able to take a day off and it is literally just eight hours. Right. Uh, instead of having to use 12 whole hours PTO. of sure. PTO. Um, so there's all kinds of like a nuanced sort of idea that people have. It's tough. I like my 312s. And right. you know, like every I, other nurse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like my three twelves. I'm young. I, you know, I'm 28 years old. I'm single. I have a dog, so I have no real, you know, responsibilities outside yeah. of that. So when I'm on a travel contract or if I'm working on the unit full time, when I'm not teaching, um, I'll work six days in a row to have like six mm -hmm. or eight days off, and I love to travel. I do not like to be in one spot at you know for too long. Um, my grandfather always used to tell me, like, you don't like to let grass grow underneath your feet. Like, I'm always gone <laughs> places, right? So uh, I liked that mm -hmm. ability of nursing to be able to work six 12s in a row or five 12s in a row, whatever oh, the facility God. would let me do. Um, so then I had a long stretch off and I could, like, hop on a cheap flight somewhere and go see something and then come back and have one day off yet and then go back to work. Mm -hmm. um, that's, you know, that's one of the really nice things about those 312s. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally get that. It, if that fits your personality and that's what you want to do, by all sure. means, do that. I think the worst thing that nursing can do is lock people in to a rigid schedule where nothing is, you know, available for change. Sure. Yeah. And I always felt that healthcare, since it's a field that requires 24 hour care, needs to have the strength of a diverse scheduling system. Yeah. Where people can come in on night shift, people can come in on day shift, people can come in on evening shift. And, you know, they don't have to be a night shifter or a day shifter right. or whatever thing. Like if you have a need and you're putting out a request, you know, Anybody that wants to fill it can come in, fill sure. it, do the thing, yeah. work overtime, fine, good, great, awesome. Um, like I said, I don't like the idea of working 72 hours and then, you know, either having to pay bonuses to people for working overtime. Work 80 hours, get your overtime, fine. And then maybe you won't have this budget crunch when you have to pay people double, triple to get people in to get a couple of bodies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the bonuses that are out there right now for just a couple hours are ridiculous, let alone talking about, you know, going back to that travel COVID pay right now. It's just 
the money that's out there for healthcare in general, not even just nursing, is ridiculous. Right. And I have a uh, I have a friend who works in healthcare business who I need to get on this damn show, um, and he is literally in charge of hiring staff, and he's like negotiating with people, like, hey, look, um, we can't quite do the dollar rate match, but what about what if we move your two thousand dollar sign-on bonus to a five thousand dollar sign-on bonus sure and like it's these kinds of things that are happening just to get like like lpns in or med med um med techs, med techs in and just you know not even rns into work in office uh it it's so tough and so competitive right now because there's a lack of nursing um and because people are starting to realize like Oh shit, nursing isn't all it's cut out to be the way it's marketed to you. It's like, right. oh, you're going to work 312s and it's going to be fine and nothing's ever going to go wrong. Right. Yeah. And it's it's not like that. It's a giant ball of stress and apparently you can get convicted of some sort of weird homicide charge. You can get convicted of a lot. Ugh. Um but I mean that'll throw me onto a whole another soapbox with, you know, things that aren't told to nursing students or so let's not okay so let's dive into this so you teach right i do yes and what do you teach um so i've taught fundamentals of nursing which is you know your basic first nursing course um i teach clinical for multiple different uh levels of nursing students and currently right now i'm teaching medic um med surge three uh which is like critical care concepts Mm -hmm. so i've kind of been all throughout the out the program of what level i teach uh, do you interview staff when they're coming on? Or not staff, but pr- prospective students? No. So there's actually no interview process to get in. So uh-huh. um, at least at my my school. Why is there not? <laughs> so at least at my school there isn't. I don't know if there is at other facilities. I got interviewed. Know. I got interviewed by two people. Really? For being respiratory. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And you yeah. know what they asked me? They were like, how do you feel about blood and guts? Yeah. <laughs> they like, how do you handle stress? Yeah. They are like, do you mind the sight of blood? There's, those you are really good any? questions. Um, not not at the facility, you know, or the Ooh. institution that I work at. Um, we have like... That's so surprising. There's GPA requirements. And, oh, right. you know, because there's no like the ATITs exam that they have to do and they have to score like a certain, you know, score on the TEAS exam. The, what's the ATI? So it's um, math, science, and uh i want to say english i believe okay and it's like a comprehensive test it's kind of like the sat sure it's like are you a functional adult that knows how to read write and can, add two plus two and can you critically think yeah, yeah. no uh, no they can't critically think <laughs> no we're not allowed to we've had nurses that cannot <laughs> yeah sure and then you have policies and uh you know in your facilities that take away your ability to critically think oh it's brutal you know so you know, with like some of your systems um they have like early warning systems in place for units where when you put your vital signs into your charting system it fires off like this score and it tells you oh your patient's like at an early warning of you know declining um so if they hit a score that's high enough you had to call a rapid response on this patient no matter what um so it took away the nurse's ability to think and be like oh, you know, my patient's tachycardic, my heart rate's high, um, and they have a fever. So maybe I should go in and assess my patient and you remo- remove the 17 blankets that are on the patient right. and give them some, ty- like put a fan on them and maybe give them some Tylenol. This is, 
that's one of the reasons I, I kind of hate the pole socks. Yeah. Uh, so it's so fallible as a device. It's like the number one thing that nurses call respiratory for is, uh, my patient isn't setting. They're, they're setting about 89%. Can you come give him a breathing treatment? And you're like, uh, you go up there, the pole socks is laying in the bed or yeah, something. Yeah. Or like, it's not connected. Or they have like acrylic nails on. Or, <laughs> or they were like tapping their finger on the side of the bed and it wasn't picking up. Yeah. Or some other nonsense. Um, there's one dude I play golf with, uh, the first time I met him, he called me to be like, Hey, my patient's setting 72 and I walk in the room and I look and I'm like, dude, your, your pulse ox is laying off the side of the bed. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, Oh, your bed's reading 72%. So I, I give him shit all the time. He'll be like, yeah, I shot a 72. I'll be like, Oh, did you just like that patient? Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's <laughs> as an educator, that's one of the things that I stress to my students is like. Go check your patient. Like, go assess right, your patient. Right. Don't just see that number or that value and freak out. Like, go go look at your patient and see mm-hmm. if it's a real number. One of the things one of my teachers taught me early on was nurses rely on the pulse socks like it's God. And I was like, what do you mean? And then I got into it and I was like, oh. Hey, some of us don't. This thing <laughs> is, oh my gosh. So I actually call it the magic blue number. So when I want to be condescending to a nurse and be really snarky, I'll just be like, oh, so what the magic blue number say? Did, did, did we fix the magic blue number? Are you, are you happy with the magic blue number? One thing that I struggle with with pulse oxes is how inaccurate they are. Oh, they're a piece of shit. Like if your pulses aren't correlating, shitty number. Right. If, you're if wi- any other vital sign was as inaccurate as a pulse ox, it We'd would be never totally use disregarded. It. Yeah. Yeah, it would be totally disregarded. That's why I hate it. I hate it so much. If the pulses aren't correlating, it's inaccurate. If your waveform's not a good pleth, it's inaccurate. Mm -hmm. If your SVO2 is low or your PAO2 is low, low, (laughs) it's inaccurate. (laughs) Like, it's ridiculous. Your patient could be literally (laughs) holding a cup that is too cold. Yeah. And it won't work. Yeah. It's just like... (sighs) If you don't have good perfusion, if you have, you know... Ugh. gel nail polish on let alone acrylics <laughs> like this shit doesn't work it's so painful there's nothing i despise more than the pole socks <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah it it's so it's such a pain in the ass um i i even like to troll nurses that were critically i'm like yeah we should just get rid of the pole socks I'm like why? why why would we do that so you have to go in the room and look at your patient more <laughs> like but we look at a patient so much phil i'm like i know you need to look at them man if these other professions were in their room as much as we were i know (laughs) yeah so that was a thing too wasn't that fun how like covid like people just weren't going in rooms yeah man that was crazy i can't tell you how many times i was in a room and like somebody'd knock on my door and we have glass doors in most of the icu Mm -hmm. facilities that we work in and you know they're like hey can you give this for me like a res- like respiratory therapy would be like, hey, can you give this breathing treatment for me? Like, you're already in there. Like, oh, God. Who yeah. is that therapist? I'm <laughs> going to call them. I'm going to call them over. <laughs> or, um, you know, like I had a patient one time that needed a KUB done. So we needed an abdominal abdominal x-ray. Oh, uh, okay. So um, they come in, you know, they ha- rest or uh, radiology hands me the board to put behind the patient, like the film board or whatever oh, no. it's called. They're like, hey, will you put this behind them? Nope. Thank you. Not yeah, doing it. Sure, I'm already in here. Whatever. Oh God. You so caved. put it behind my patient. I'm like, is it lined up okay? They're like, I don't know. We'll shoot it. And we're find gonna out. shoot one and see. I'm like, all right. Yeah. 
They didn't let me out of the room. They left me mm-hmm. in the room while this patient was getting radiated. Yeah. And they gave me no lead. <laughs> like, just standing there, like... Just standing there. Okay, cool. Guess I don't want to have kids one day, right? Yeah, right. Like, no kids for you. Sure. Fine. This is great. <laughs> they're, they're a little crazy. Count your blessings. Oh, ah. yikes. <laughs> I was just like... Because they didn't want to put an N95 or a PAPA right. on and well, come that, in the that room. That was the thing that pissed me off about COVID is how ridiculously afraid people were. I I never understood that from the get-go. Maybe either, either because I don't possess fear or I'm stupid. Well, I think there might be a little of both there for you. But <laughs> like I, I had a healthy amount of fear with it. Like I had, I don't know. It was, it was all just stupid. I was like, you know what? It's a respiratory disease that affects people who are not healthy. Sure. And I was like, I'm healthy. I don't have shit to be afraid of. And that was basically my stance the entire way through. Yeah. Never got it. Never had any issues with it. See, I got it. And it wasn't fun. Um, I've had the flu before. It wasn't fun. Sure. I, I had cardiac issues after I had it, though. Like, did you really? I, yeah. You're one of those with like, did you have myocarditis? So um, all of my scans and everything were negative. But um, I, my resting heart rate was like super, super high. And I threw like PVCs like crazy. Really? Yeah. Like how high? Like So like how high was your resting heart rate? My resting heart rate's in like the hundreds. Like still now? Yeah. It's 109 sitting here talking to you. I mean, you. I'm exciting. So yeah. there's that. <laughs> there, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, huh. my like... And was I had it, it in twenty December of twenty twenty. Do you so, feel it like when you're um like when you're uh like exercising? Do you feel it like ramp up and then come down? Uh so I would get palpitations really bad, like right after COVID. Um my palpitations are better, you know. Um if I usually I'm used to my heart rate sitting in like the low one hundreds now. Um I don't really get symptomatic from it. Um, unless I, like, if it goes way high, like, I'll feel it. Like, when I'm, I'm a power, like, working into powerlifting. Um, so, like, when I'm doing, like, high sets of heavy weight and stuff like that, I'll feel my heart rate get up higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't get, like, syncopal or anything like that mm-hmm. from it. But, you know. Do you feel it, short of breath with the high heart rate, too, or no? Bro, I'm fat. Yeah. <laughs> You're not fat. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I don't have great cardiac, you know. Uh, ability like I can't go run like, like cardio yeah like yeah. I can't go run like so that's the thing that I noticed is like my building of cardio helps when I so I recently got into hunting yeah and so like with hunting you have to walk like far sure and you're walking up hills right yeah so I can do that stuff I'm actually tomorrow I think I'm going out to uh hike I don't know I'm gonna hit some new ground and it's as I don't know the elevation but um I'm literally planning on being out there for like six or so hours just sure. hiking through land. And yeah, spring it's gonna be turkey's a workout. coming. It's going to be a workout. Yeah. So it's going to be and fun. And I like doing that stuff. Yeah. But like to get on a treadmill and run, nah, yeah. miss well, me with that. Well, running sucks. Yeah, miss running, me with that stuff. Yeah, I don't, I don't like running. I play basketball. Like I hated, I don't, I mean, you know, it's it's different playing something versus, you know, actually running. Sure. I just don't like running. I try to do it from time to time. Nah. I've tried so much different stuff. I've tried like running on my toes, doing that whole thing. Mm-hmm. I've tried like the barefoot shoe. I've tried running like around my development. I've tried running on the road. I've tried trail running. It all sucks. I hate it all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll go on a hike. You know, I took my dog on a four and a half mile hike the other day. Like mm-hmm. I'll do stuff like that. I throw a 20 pound weight vest on and hop on the stair stepper for 30 minutes. Like I'll yeah. do stuff like that. Oh yeah. That's the other thing too. When I hike, I take my full pack. Yeah. And I have like 
my binoculars on my chest, my pack on my back, and I put a little extra crap in there just so it's sure. got some weight to it. Yeah. Plus, like, you know, your actual real hiking boots are usually right. pretty heavy. Your water pouch thing, you know, it's not light. No, You're going not for at a all. While, so. Yeah. But yeah, after, you know, COVID, I, I did have like cardiac issues afterwards and had to go see a cardiologist, had, really? to, had to wear a Zio patch for a while and, mm. you know, had to have a cardiac MRI, all, whole did nine get, yards. Did you get the vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> so is this pre post? Like how's it? You, In between. <laughs> we can skip all this too if you want. In between. Like, um, so I actually got my first vaccine in December of 2020. Um, okay. so I think I was like two weeks out from my first dose Okay. when you could get your second dose, what a month out? Well, it depended on the, I think it depended on which I got Pfizer. Vaccine. I don't have uh, it. Either. I think the Pfizer thing was closer. I think it was like four weeks. Yeah. Like I think weeks. it was like a month in between doses. Yeah. Mine was like six weeks, I think. Okay. So I got my first dose. I was in between my two doses. I think it was like two weeks out. <laughs> I was working at a facility. I was picked up a travel contract um, in between my semesters of teaching and had a nurse. He was standing, sitting in front of me, closer than me and you are right now, sitting at the mm-hmm. desk, talking to me and you know, he's like, man, cool. I don't feel real good. I'm like, bro, get the fuck away from me then. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I had a drink at the desk. Like I was working right. night shift and there, you know, this facility you were at, you were allowed to have a drink at where okay. your computer was. Um, so, you know, I had my mask on, didn't have an N95 on, just a uh-huh. regular surgical mask. And, you know, at that point in time, you know, we were wearing surgical masks for three and four days until they were paper thin and you could, mm-hmm. you could see we'll through them. That, yeah. yeah. Um, so this guy's like talking to me about his symptoms and stuff. I was like, bro, get away from me. Like get. And he's like, you think I should go home? I'm like, man, it's two o'clock in the morning. Who's going to come replace you? Like there's no staff to replace you at two o'clock in the morning. Oh, this was a, this was an employee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then he comes up and talks to me a little while later. And I was like, how are you feeling? He's like, not great. He's like, I lost my taste and my smell like two hours ago. Oh, God, that's I'm the like, red sign. Bro, get. like Go home. No N95. Like, you, why aren't you wearing your N95 outside of your room if you're complaining of those symptoms? Like, get away from me. Five days later, I tested positive. Right. So, um, and then so many people got COVID because people didn't recognize symptoms and they were just out being themselves. Sure. Dumb and they didn't know. So my symptoms were real vague at first, but like I knew he had exposed me Mm -hmm. and I was like on high alert Mm -hmm. because like I was partially vaccinated and I was like "Mm," on super high alert. Then I was like, man, I feel like I'm getting a sinus infection. Like just real vague symptoms. I get mm-hmm. sinus infections all the time. Like I have really bad seasonal allergies. I get oh, sinus well. infections chronically. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, I feel like I'm getting a sinus infection. So I was at the hospital working and uh, I walked into the kitchen and grabbed a thing of orange juice. I was like, we're going to see if I have my taste. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I took a sip of it and I was like, um, it's watered down. It tastes watered down. But then I was like, I've never had hospital orange juice before. Like, it's in those little plastic cartons. Like, mm-hmm. does it taste like regular orange juice? Does it just naturally taste <laughs> like Right. Or, <laughs> sure. Right. So um, I told my charge nurse, I was like, hey, you know, like, I haven't been feeling super great. Um, I feel like I have a sinus infection. I called in before I went in that day. I was like, this is how I feel. They're like, yeah, come on in. You're, you're fine. I was like, okay, cool. 
And then about like two, three o'clock in the morning, something along those lines, I started, I tasted orange juice and I was like, mm. I wore an N95 the rest of my shift, called employee health as soon as I got out of work, um, went and got a COVID test. And by the time I woke up for my next shift, um, I was positive. Ugh. So I quarantined for 14 days at that time yeah, yeah. in my basement and then got out of quarantine. And two days later, they gave me my COVID shot, my second injection. Oh, <laughs> huh. I said to them as they went to give it to me, I'm like, you know, they asked all your screening questions and stuff. Yeah. I was like, should I be getting this? Like, I just got out of isolation two days ago. They're like, oh, uh, hold on. Let's call, let's call, you know, the, the pharmacist. Okay. So I call the pharmacist. He's like, ah, you should be good. You should be good. Yeah, you should be good. You I'm should like, be good. It should be fine. Okay, cool. Give it to me, Super I guess, right? Super convincing to yeah. say you should be fine. Well, like nobody knew, right? It was right. a new vaccine. Nobody knew. And now- No one knows shit. And now <laughs> if you get COVID, you can't get the vaccine for what? Like three months? I don't know what it is. I think it's like three know. months or something. No so, but because I already I had- I you just don't get the vaccine if you had COVID for like a period of time. Because I think you're supposed to have antibodies. You're supposed to, but- we're not allowed to talk about natural immunity. Well, we can talk about natural immunity now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's legal now, right? Yeah. We've reached the point where you're allowed to talk about that because yeah. the, the the gremlin, the Fauci gremlins, like, they died off. So He's coming back. back. Cave. Yeah. I heard... Uh, I, I was... have a whole rant about how everything um, we did with COVID was just stupid and illogical. Yeah, man. I was listening to a podcast, uh. podcast the other day, um, and... They were talking about how there's a new variant again. Yeah. And of course there is yeah, going to be. Sure. Um but I don't I I don't watch the news. Mm-hmm. I listen to a podcast on my hour drive to work for my news. What podcast do you listen to? Uh either uh Dan Bongino or Ben Shapiro. Oh, okay. Nice. Okay. I love Ben Shapiro. Yeah. So those are the two that I listen to the most for like my news. Um and I like that they talk both sides of the spectrum. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they're both conservative people, but they talk both sides. Of- well, Shapiro, like, for one, I'm not too familiar with the other guy. Uh, I know Shapiro is always information first. Sure. Opinion yeah. second. It seems like uh, I just started listening to Dan Bongino. So okay. it seems he's kind of the same way, too. Um, and they'll talk about, like, you know, if the left is right or if the right is right or if the middle's right or it doesn't matter like what your political aspect is like mm-hmm. here's the information like here's you said data to go with the sure and you know you have enough intelligence as an adult human to analyze that data and look at it hopefully well, that's questionable because <laughs> hopefully. we have a lot of people that don't even know what a woman is in today's well. world this is well. difficult for some people yeah um I actually, uh, I looked up the definition of what a woman is. Oh, God. Because I was curious. And I was like, what could this be? So I looked up in the dictionary what a woman is. It's very complex. So let me let me explain. Bro, a it's woman down to a, co- a chromosome. is <laughs> an adult human female. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's all it is. A woman is an adult human female per the actual dictionary so when you want to define what a woman is you simply consult the dictionary and then you go to the word woman and you see where it says an adult human female yeah for clarity that's what a woman is (laughs) 
I mean, <laughs> it's crazy, right? So like, I wanted to get that on on tape so bad. <laughs> like, I've actually I plan to do that at some point, and I was like, I need to do this. So it's it's crazy yeah. that like you know, then it's like, well, how do you define female? And like anybody can in our society nowadays, like I'm not saying right or wrong or what my own personal opinion is. Like I'm just mm-hmm. saying, you know, anybody can say whatever they want to be. Somebody was telling me a story right. the other day that they allow kids now to say that they're bunnies and they have like litter boxes in public school for like children. A litter box? Because they identify as like an animal. That's great. Right? So. Well, I mean, you know, you, kids are like literally rugrats. So <laughs> sure, like, you know, sure. you should get them a litter box. <laughs> you can be anything you want to so. be, right? Right. <laughs> in our society. Yeah. Um, it, you know, there's make-believe and there's reality. And... I'm not required to live in your world of make-believe. Sure. I live in a world of reality where there's this thing called objective fact. And I'm not interested in entertaining somebody's, you know, like feelings of, you know, whether or not they're something that is not actually real. Like if you want to be, I don't know, pick whatever reality thing. Like if you want to be a Jedi. Yeah. Be a Jedi. As long as it doesn't bother me, leave me alone. Like, like, if you want to uh, be a part of that, like, a group that, that does that sort of thing, that's fine. Sure. That doesn't make telekinesis possible. Sure. Right? Like, you, you physically can't move stuff with your mind. Like, you can't force choke me. I'm, like, I'm sorry, Luke, but you can't <laughs> do it. <laughs> like, so there's a real thing where you have to actually, like have the rational sense to be like okay this is me living out what i want to versus actual real objective fact and i think from that point on whether or not how you treat another person is why people feel like there needs to be this sort of like redefine of what reality is sure and i think that the um sort of the judgment uh, cast upon people for living a different, weird, or obscure life is why people want certain things to be adopted as normal. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, whether that judgment is coming from a religious group or a political group, I think it's gross, and I think you should be able to do what you want to do. So, I always say, like, I lay in that... But I'm not responsible or required to do as you do. Yeah. So, like, I lay in that middle ground where I'm like leave me alone right like let me do what i want to do you do what you want to do um i have beliefs on both sides of the spectrum Mm -hmm. let me have my guns let me have guns look at those guns (laughs) thanks you know uh (laughs) let me live in my own area stop taking all of my money in taxes and you can love whoever you want to love. You can be whatever right. you want to be. I so, don't care. As long as that doesn't directly affect me and how I live. Sure. Have at it, buddy. Uh, I think, it, yeah, it's it's interesting with political perspective how people get really really tied into what their teams are. Yeah. Versus why they believe what they believe sure. in the team. And um, so you can look at a lot of different points. Like... Things like guns, abortion, drugs, um, 
all, all these things are very hot button topics sure. that people get very uh, knee jerk reaction over. And the issue with things like um, abortion and whether or not it's a state allowable thing or something to me is it doesn't really matter whether or not it's allowable by the state because it's not the state's job to tell you what to do with your body. Sure. So I feel like in the long run, you basically have to come to a point where if you live in a society that allows for liberty and individual liberty, you sort of have to be in a society that also allows abortion Sure. because it's not the state's job to say whether you can or can't have an abortion. Right. Now, it's also not the state's job to project moral right. on you as well. Right. That's up to the individual and their own moral belief and their own religious belief and how they want to go from there. Sure. So at that point, then it comes down to the individual to make their own choice. Same thing with guns. Same thing with marijuana, other drugs. The COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine. All the stuff. And yeah. if we are actually going to live in a nation that allows for liberty you need to have actual liberty. Right, yeah. If you're not going to protect liberty, then what the fuck are we as a nation? Right, yeah. Like We say we do. Right, we say we do, but really we're just going to control what you do and we're going to tax the shit out of you and yeah. we're going to do X, Y, and Z thing. And if we don't like it, we're just going to make arguments about it. Here's the thing. You're not the arbiter of what I like. Right, Like yeah. If I like guns, I'm going to get guns. If right. you don't like guns, I'm not going to tell you that... You need to go get guns. Right, yeah. I don't care if you do like, or not, but let me have mine. <laughs> and same thing for marijuana or same thing with, you know, whatever kind of like drug thing. Each individual person should be allowed to make up their own mind on different things. Sure. And, you know, it. that's really what I believe. Like when I, so I grew up like really conservative, Christian-y background stuff. Yeah. And... When I started evaluating different topics on the basis of why I believe what I believe or why I had a certain point, I realized I didn't really actually have a legitimate reason for why some of them had a reason to be believed. Sure. And when I actually sat and thought about it myself, I was like, okay, well, what do I actually believe and what's the basis for all of this? And every single point just came back to individual liberty. Right, yeah. And for me, it was just so eye-opening. And I was like, oh, so allow people to have a life that gives them more and more liberties. Right. And just let them be. Yeah. They're responsible for their own self. And it's not your job to police every shitting thing they do. Right. Now, if they're overtly violent or overtly, you know... Yeah, if they're causing some sort of like harm. Problematic. Well, problematic is a bad word, but like <laughs> yeah. if they're just, you know, eh, just like a total miscreant. Like, obviously, you need to have constraints in an organized sure, sure. sort of fashion. You don't just want, you know, Ted out with his <laughs> AR-15 in his backyard shooting soda cans at a wall. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to have like, some sort of... a little bit silly. You got to have some sort of common sense with it and right. some sort of like law to, you know say that what is but possessing okay. one and whether sure. or not your magazine can hold two rounds or 200 right. rounds or 2000 rounds yeah shit yeah i mean i've shot competitive archery archery since i was i don't know four years old five years old um oh really yeah yeah that's actually funny because i have to buy a bow <laughs> i'll teach you. i have to get into um into hunting uh, i have my license right over here actually yeah i'll teach you how to shoot 
Use my license. Um, I have to uh, I have to buy a bow. I'm waiting on my tax return to actually come back, and then I'm going to go get. Um, I don't know. I was thinking about getting a bear bow. Okay. Yeah. Just because I think that it's cool, and I like the story of um, what's his name, Bear. Fred Bear. Fred Bear. Yeah. 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 And his like that that awesome uh, song from Ted Nugent. Love yes. It. Yes. Oh gosh, it's so great. I actually have Bear. Yeah. yeah. I have and multiple. So. I'm going to hit up Lancaster Archery. Shout yeah. out to them because they're yeah. badass. Uh, and get a bow at some point. Yeah, it's cool over there. Have you been to Lancaster? Uh, so I haven't been to Lancaster Archery. I've been to their stand at the um, Great Outdoor Show sure. in Harrisburg. Yeah. Um, it's actually so. really cool over there. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty I, sweet. I got to get down there. It's going to be a good time. I yeah. Got, oh, shit. I got to buy it. Dude, I bought so much hunting crap in the last week. <laughs> last while yo turkey season's coming up i couple know. weeks i know like i actually took time off i'm stoked are you my do favorite hunt? that's my favorite season of the year really i could care less to hunt anything else really yeah why is that uh it's just so much fun and uh i grew up doing it with my dad and my brother yeah and my dad and i still go together my brother moved um so he doesn't get to go with us much anymore but uh it's just like a bonding thing with my dad and hmm. there is nothing like the adrenaline rush that you will get from turkey hunting. That's so funny because I'm actually going to go scout areas tomorrow. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to uh, state game land. I don't want to say. Sure. But. Um, I don't blame you. They <laughs> <laughs> um, pull up my Onyx. <laughs> I do have Onyx too. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, I have. Um, I'm going to be going somewhere right in here. Also, how cool of an app is Onyx? Yo, I love it. Someone showed it to me. Um, Shout out to Meat Eater. That's where I got that from. Oh, did you? Yeah. Mine, mine actually came from my friend Aaron, who's like a hunting beast and also a nurse who I have to have on the show at some point. Shout out to Aaron for being a generally cool, awesome dude. Um, so that's where I'm going to go. The northern section. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what I find. It's going to be like 30 degrees tomorrow, which I actually prefer. I was scouting when it was 75 degrees the other day, and it was horrid. <laughs> I'm, like, stomping around in just a t-shirt and my backpack. I'm, like, dripping sweat. So, uh, with your teaching, like, talk to me about how you got into teaching, why you wanted to do teaching. So, growing up, I... all that happened. All yeah. That um, so, growing up, I always had, like, a pool to teach. Like, I used to sit in my family's business and, like doing my homework but i'd teach it to my grandfather like i yeah so like it's always something that i enjoyed doing um and i thought going like elementary ed you know and then i was like "Ah, i don't really know that that's the kind of teaching i want to do and then i got into um you know doing my co-op like i was talking about earlier um with being a nursing assistant and i fell in love with nursing um so i went to school for nursing Mm -hmm. um and it was always kind of an idea of mine where i could Uh, like blend the two ideas of like teaching and nursing because I really enjoy both of them Um, so blending those two things together and being a nursing instructor Um, so I got into that um, as a clinical instructor first Uh, so part-time I would um, you know work my regular job and then on one of my days off I would teach clinical Um, and then I started teaching full-time in uh, 2019 um, November of 2019. So when I finished up my year of traveling, um, and then got into that full time, and that's about it. That's kind of the end of the story with that. You got in with that. Yeah. So, um, what, what, what's the, what's the climate like in teaching? Like what's the climate like in classrooms? So, 
Um, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of the same as like your, the same teaching aspect issues is what you're seeing, um, you know, with elementary ed and like high school education. Um, you have kids that want to learn, you have kids that don't want to learn and just want to know what they need to know. Um, I shouldn't say kids, students. Um, some of them are, you know, children. they're very wide range of ages that you'll see second degree students, first mm-hmm. degree students, whatever. Um, I think my biggest thing is with it is the willingness. Like, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need you to understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but the fact that you're willing to put in the effort to understand what I'm saying or what I'm trying to teach you, mm-hmm. I will bend over backwards for my students and try to teach them in, you know, X, Y, and Z different way. Mm-hmm. I'll, you know, teach it frontwards, backwards, sideways, upside down, whatever I have to right. do to try to get that point sure, across. Sure. Um but when you have students who are like, why don't you just, why don't you just, you know, water down this content for us, or, um, you know, just tell us what's going to be on the exam. What do we yeah, need to know, right? So like everybody wants to know that, right? Like of course right. I. That's never the point. Right. I I wanted to know that when I was in right. nursing school. Just the point is, how do you answer the essay question? Right. Sure. Um, but the problem is the global problem with that is, and like I understand why my students want to know that content, mm-hmm. and like. Well, are you going to ask us about this? Well, I don't know. I, I can't, I'm not going to. I mean, I do know. I'm not going to answer that question because you need to know that content. Because right. it may not be directly on my exam. It may mm-hmm. be on your boards, right? It may be on your licensure exam. I can't. I don't know what they're going to ask you on that. Right. I mean, I have a test plan that we teach off of, but like it could be any question. Um. But just because it's not on your boards or it's not on your unit exam or your final doesn't mean you're not going to encounter it in real life. Right, ever. Right. Right. So, again, that goes back to kind of that case we were talking about. Like, you have to be a nurse generalist. You have Mm -hmm. to understand general nursing across all aspects. Right. Because you may encounter those things or you may get pulled to a unit that you don't work in that deals with different things or different medications. Mm -hmm. So those questions and like a lot of times my students will ask me a question they're like what would you do in this this situation and I just refer them back to their facility policy and they don't like that answer and I don't like to give that answer Mm -hmm. but that's what it comes down to feels generic yeah sure and I think my students feel as like oh she's just brushing us off right she doesn't want to answer maybe she doesn't know or but it comes down to what is acceptable at your facility so um, you know, f- all loads of, or like all aspects of healthcare have scopes of practice. And, you know, as a respiratory therapist, you know this just as well as I do, where you're a facility that you work at, you're allowed to do things within mm-hmm. your scope of practice, but there's things within your scope of practice that you're not allowed to do. Sure. Right. So like, I'm allowed to draw ABGs. Yeah. I've worked at facilities where I'm not allowed to draw ABGs because sure, right. that's their facility's policy. Right. Respiratory therapists are allowed to intubate. Sure. Where I work, we don't. Right. Um, so, you know, again, like, yeah, it sounds like a, a shitty answer to get from an instructor, but like, you got to go back to your facility policy. I can't answer that question. Or, um, you know, everybody thinks healthcare and specifically nursing is black and white. And there's so much gray. And there's oh, so many. The whole healthcare field is gray. There's so much it's just, level of gray. It's 
it's like Fifty Shades of Grey yeah. and just as much bodily punishment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like, like again, going back to that, what would you do in that situation? I'm like, well, I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't tell right. you what I would have done. It, it's difficult to give somebody a nuanced um, hypothetical. Sure. Because you never know exactly how the scenario is going to play right. out. Um, I was always the student that overstudied. Yep. And therefore, my head was too full of dumb shit. Sure. You overthought. I got a lot of shit wrong because I totally wasn't sure how to grasp the material. I knew the material was complex, so I would compensate by overstudying. Sure. And then I would overanalyze things and just miss simple questions because I would look at it, read it, think about it. And instead of taking the obvious answer, I would think my way out of the obvious answer into something, you know stupid well and then you always think that like oh the answer can never be this easy <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like and this is a trick question i would check my test after i got like a b and i would be going through and i'm like why did i say that hypotension would cause also a low heart rate sure and you'd be like what the shit and then and then i'd be like why and then right. you'd be like you'd realize like oh i was just thinking something stupid or like i had some sort of random association in my mind that didn't make sense right or you know something like no no no. other than like trusting my gut actually you know it's funny i became a very good test taker when i realized how my own brain yeah and instead of like following my own brain i realized that in the first five questions of virtually any test of the first five i would get several wrong okay in like the first five and then I would go through like, you know, test like or question number six through like, I don't know, 30. I'll get very little wrong. I don't go, how do I miss so many at the beginning and then none in the middle and then maybe like a couple at the end. And I'll go through and I'm like, why is this every single time? And then I realized it was literally test anxiety. I was just going to say that. Yeah. That would hit me right at the beginning and I would get all these stupid analytical nerves running through my head that didn't make any sense. Sure. And it caused me to screw up right so what i would do and to combat combat that is i would answer them mentally in my head sure not mark it and then i go to question six and i would start the question the test on question six go through and come back to one and two after i was done and answer those questions i i went from b's to a's just by doing that yeah and that's (laughs) the thing bizarre you have to learn how you work when it comes right. to tests like then that's the hardest part and you know the memes that are out there that it's like all right you've got four oranges here which one's the most orange right right like that's i just thought i was stupid <laughs> yeah i was like why am i dumb so the... i would get down on myself and i'd be like i'm a fucking moron I'm like i can't be this dumb i spent all this time reading the shit what did i do and i got in my own head and i was like you gotta read more 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 yeah and then i was like you idiot look at what you're doing so anybody in nursing school right now i'm gonna give you a tip okay. <laughs> here we all ask nclex questions and nclex questions are terrible man like mm. not terrible in the content but terrible like they're hard like they're stupid oh, hard right, right. because right choose the best answer yeah. of what thing and it's yeah. like and all of these are correct right we would do all of them but it's like <laughs> right. which one's which one the one's most first? correct so that goes back to right. that like yes you know these are all Order oranges but which one's yeah. the most orange uh, um yes, yeah yes. so you know 
one of the things that I tell most of my students is, is practice questions. Hmm. So like learn the content, do your reading, do your PowerPoints, do your study guides, whatever it is that you do to learn that content, but then practice that application. So grab a book that has practice questions in it and do the practice questions on that area. Because mm-hmm. the more you see it in content, you the more you see that content in application, it helps relieve that anxiety. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's like it's so weird. It's like it's like you purposefully ignore material that you're bad at because you're bad at it. Sure. And then you're like, hmm, why did I never get bad at that area or never get good at that area? Because I spent the whole time ignoring it. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, well, why am I really good at reading heart rhythms? Because all I do is study heart rhythms. Right. It's stupid. Try it makes studying sense pharmacology. To me. Yeah. When you suck at it, because yeah. then you'll understand it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It, for me, it was like I struggled with algebra all okay. through like high school. Sure. And it was all because I didn't know why it mattered. Sure. And when it came to studying the gas laws and respiratory, I suddenly had this thing in my head click where I was like, oh, here's why you need to solve for X. Right. And I was like, holy shit. If you could have told me that in 10th grade, <laughs> yeah, this would have made more sense. Right. Still couldn't figure it out really well, but at least I understood why I needed to understand right. it. Right. So you know what I did? I went to the math lab like every day for like a month and just studied math and equations to learn how to manipulate equations and how to move different numbers around and how to use different formulas. And after that month, I was literally teaching the students how to do the gas laws sure. and it was never a problem anymore. I right. was like, oh my God, I'm done studying gas laws because I actually learned how to do them. Right. And then I think there's something to it too when you, when you understand something to a level to be able to teach it. Mm-hmm. versus just know it. Yes. So like you you have to understand something on a much deeper level yeah, to teach it than you have to do just to know it and function with it. Right. Uh, I've always subscribed, like since then, my learned approach is essentially uh, see one, do one, teach one. Sure, yeah. And my, my best approach, that just works for me. So like if I've never seen it, it's like I can see it, but I'm not really going to learn it until I do it. Right. But then once I do it, then I can show you how and why to do it. Right. And it's there's something you said right there is the why. That's something that I need to know too. So like if you want me to do something, to give me a rationale and explain why I need to do it that way. I went to the gun range a couple of mo- weeks ago or months ago now and this guy's telling me that I need to change my grip on how I'm holding my pistol. And my whole, re- my whole question to him was, what's your rationale? Why do I need to change what I'm doing if what I'm doing is working? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't trying to be like argumentative. I just wanted to understand why I needed to do it that way. And the response was "You just essentially because I said so. And that doesn't fly with me ever. Like <laughs> right? ever. I want to yeah. understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. Random dude at the gun range just trying to teach a woman how to hold a gun. Yeah, sure. And like, <laughs> if you're right, or if you can give me a rationale mm-hmm. as to why I'm doing it, sure, I'll do it. I could be very wrong. And I'll be mm-hmm. the first to tell you when I'm wrong or don't know something. But like, tell me why. Right. And that comes down even back to meds. Like, mm-hmm. if a doctor tells me to do something, instead of just me saying, you know, hey, this doesn't make sense in my own brain, and then saying to this doc, like, 
not to be an asshole, but hey, do you order this on the wrong patient? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to try to find a little bit more of a tactful way to say that. Like, hey, you know, why are we giving this med? Like, mm-hmm. can you explain to me why I'm giving this? And Because I said so. Right, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've been told because I said so. And that doesn't fly with me. No, it, it, it shouldn't. And if you're going to ever give somebody the excuse in healthcare because i said so you're a douche and no one likes you yeah like <laughs> case in point i don't care what your title is if that's your rationale fuck you yeah help me understand why i'm doing it yeah and, like just explain your rationale for right. something and then i don't have to ask you again right or like you know maybe you know maybe you don't know maybe i don't know or maybe you're a doofus and I right. have to actually ask you because what you're saying doesn't make sense. Right. And maybe it's a protective thing like, hey, did you order this on the wrong patient? And this is my way of, you know, being nice about asking it. Or maybe I just don't understand and I want that knowledge. Like, mm-hmm. teach me. Yeah. Like, I want like, to. I don't know this. So what are you talking about? Right. So, yeah. you know, don't give me that answer of because I said so. Like, right. tell me why. Teach me why. And then. I can then turn around and, you know, use that knowledge and educate my patient or right. educate my students or, for Christ's sakes, educate my damn self. <laughs> like, right. yeah. right. like, I want to learn more. Um, so, you know, just having that rationale is super important. That's, that's kind of the interesting thing, too, with, like, graduating and being in healthcare is this isn't a field where you're done. Like, you're never done learning stuff. Yeah. And... Like when you graduate and you come out of school and you got all this fresh knowledge in your head, you still don't really know how to implement it that well. Right. You don't know how to be effective and you don't really know how to organize. And a lot of times you don't even know how to do your job. Right. Right. Like, Like, you know, stuff about your job, but you don't really know how to make your job happen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we call that the theory practice gap. So that's like Mm -hmm. an actual thing. So there's a big gap, especially in nursing, where what you come out prepared to be. So your your NCLEX, which is our our board, um, tests minimum safe competency. Mm -hmm. So nursing students that graduate, they have minimum levels of safe competency when they come out to practice. Mm. That's what that board tests for, minimum Mm -hmm. safe competency. Right. So... We say the knowledge base suggests that you're not going to be terrible, right? Yeah, it's it suggests (laughs) that it doesn't mean you're good, right? It means you don't kind of suck, right? Right, (laughs) and you're prepared as a nurse generalist, right? So you're prepared in peds, you're prepared in OB, psych, community, everything in nursing. So you know little bits about lots. And then you specialize, right? right. So you pick an area that you want to work in and you go into these areas and there's a astronomical amount of knowledge that you don't have yet. Because I only had you in college for four 16-week semesters mm-hmm. and there's only so much I can teach you. Mm-hmm. And nursing school in general itself is already hard enough. Right, yeah, like, hell yeah. It's already super hard. It already monopolizes your life, and it's already stressful enough. So to make that even more stressful by trying to teach anything and everything, I don't remember a damn thing about peds and OB. Yeah, I knew it for school. Right, I knew knew NICU stuff for tests. Right, I knew it for my tests. I knew it to take my boards. Mm -hmm. I sat down for my boards, and the first question it says to me, I don't even remember what the med was, but... 
I wasn't great at pharmacology. Um, I struggled with pharmacology and I, I studied it incorrectly, essentially. Mm -hmm. I tried to study every individual medicine instead of the classifications. Mm -hmm. So I studied it wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in information overload, but I sat down for my, my boards and my very first question was about a medication that I had never heard of before, never given before. And I just laughed to myself. I was like, oh, this is how this is going to go. Great. <laughs> right. And the majority of my boards was peds and OB. Ugh. Right. I don't remember anything from that. Yeah. I've got two best friends from nursing school that if I have an OB patient, like a postpartum hemorrhage or something, or a mom um, that just delivered and for some reason ends up in the ICU or is pregnant and is in the ICU literally yeah. my worst nightmare man but i call my friends i'm like mm -hmm. hey because they're both ob nurses right. they're mom and baby nurses they're delivery nurses i'm like hey give me a quick refresher <laughs> right yeah dude i call people all the time if yeah. I know stuff like if i have a patient who comes into the ed and they're like i don't know depending on the level of critical nature of the case I literally don't hesitate. I call whoever's from NICU. I'm like, hey, I got this coming here. Uh, can you either drop by, give me some support, or answer this question, yeah. or do the thing? Like, That's the safe I thing to do. I can basically hack my way through any scenario, sure. but I'm not that efficient in some areas, sure. and I know my own limitations. When that's my limitation, I don't hesitate. I'm like, hey, man, I need your help. Yeah. It's the thing I need. And that's the safe way to be. Right. 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 The 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 best practice in healthcare is putting yourself in the best possible way to succeed yeah and that comes into managing your own knowledge base whether it's like something you need to refresh afterwards or something that really like gets to your nerves right or you know something where you know it, whatever have you you can't be perfect in all areas you sure. always have to have that little safety blanket so like for me that area is little tiny itty bitty babies yeah. and kids and stuff when they come in. It's the only thing in healthcare that makes my hand shake. Yeah. Like yep. nothing in healthcare regarding an adult makes me makes my voice tremble or like sure. my hand shake. It yep. doesn't matter. Like I got you. When it's kids, because I have a kid, it's like a whole different ball game. Bro, and it doesn't like, matter if you have a kid. <laughs> I like, hate okay, it. I'm like slow down and focus. I love kids. Right. Love kids. I don't like sick kids. No one does. I don't like when they can't tell me what's wrong. I don't know how to fix it. Right. It's it's very interesting because like because that because I know how my mind works, I've learned how to control my own mind and how to work through the situations. And like one of the things when you work in a intensely critical environment is when everything's going crazy, you have to slow down. Yeah. And you have to be aware of mistakes that you make when you speed up. Because you want to hurry, you want to hurry, you want to hurry. But you have to remind yourself that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. And complacency kills. Yeah. And you can't just know everything. You have to constantly be aware of the limitations. So, like, yeah. you know, if I have a kid that comes in, whether it's just something benign like having a seizure or whether it's actually like a respiratory distress thing where they require an airway or something, I usually just call the, the NICU therapist or someone who works in NICU and I'm like, hey, I got this coming in. You want to drop by? Give me some backup. Sure. And like, that's not to say that I won't be in the room handling the case, delivering meds and doing all the sure. stuff. But it's like, hey, look over my shoulder because I don't want to cause a problem. And if I need backup, you're here. Right. Yeah. You know, that, like, that's the part of having a team. It's like, you know, like 
that's how functioning as a team works. You're not right. supposed to be a lone wolf. Right. That's, one yeah. of one of the things I try to express to new grads, nursing students, um, new people in the ICU, uh, and even have to remind myself is to take a breath. Mm-hmm. So like in those emergent situations, take a deep breath, recenter yourself and be able to think because mm-hmm. that's what I need. I don't need as a nurse in that room to have to worry about your anxiety and scraping you off the goddamn ceiling, right. trying to pull you back down to reality to help me right. when I'm dealing with an emergency and trying to Absolutely. think on my own. So, you know, a lot easier said than done. And those of us that can, you know, kind of keep calm in those emergency situations, thank God for those people. Um, but just because you can't doesn't mean you're not a good healthcare employee right so like there's people that don't like those situations and that's the awesome thing about nursing or healthcare in general is there's so many different avenues Mm -hmm. that like you find what you like you find what you're good at and you find your niche and you do it and you're able to do that there's so many different ways that you can you know make those things you also have to be able to like kind of like weed your way through like every scenario and the toughest thing is like if you don't know you have to know the best avenue to find someone who does know sure and know your resources right so in in respiratory it's usually as simple as just calling another therapist in nursing it could be the same as calling another nurse or it could be calling a doc or a different provider or some other some such thing so you know, it, that's one of the things that I would imagine is tough to teach that I didn't know coming out of school. It's like, oh, how do I go about fixing a problem when I don't know? Yeah. You know, like, so I tr- happens. I try to teach pretty realistic in mm-hmm. the aspect of I don't know everything. Yeah. I tell my students all the time. They'll ask me a question. I'm like, man, I don't know. Let's ask <laughs> Google. Like, I, right. Let's research it. I don't know. Right. Or, you know, if we're at the facility, uh, last week I was doing a med pass with with a student and there were two new anti-diabetic meds that got ordered. I don't know the generic name of mm-hmm. like, I don't even remember Just what whatever the, yeah. med. Like, I don't know what that generic name is. So mm-hmm. what'd we do? We looked it up and right. we took those couple minutes to pull up Lexicomp and look at that drug book and look at that medication. Okay, what do I what do we need to know to give this? Right. Do we have to do anything special? Do we have to monitor anything? Do we have to after the fact? Do we have to watch for anything? Yeah. Um you know, so just again, you knowing your resources, knowing what they are and having someone to show you what your resources sure. are when you're new. Yeah, I always thought it was weird when um when I was in school and I would ask my teacher something and they wouldn't know. Yeah. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know? Yeah. You're supposed to be the all-knowing person <laughs> that knows everything about everything that exists in this area. Nah. <laughs> and then you realize, like, I've been doing this for 12 years, and I am still either refreshing myself on something that I used to know, or learning about some new crap, or, you know, figuring something else. Yeah. The whole point of school... This is my own opinion, is to prepare your mind to problem solve later. Sure. And there's no greater experience. There, there's no greater reason for this than for handling COVID. Like for when COVID came out and we didn't know what the hell to do. Sure. 
we had to have the ability to analyze data. We had to have the ability to try things that were new. Yeah. And we had to have the ability to problem solve as fast as possible. Well, you were frontline in that. <laughs> you were I mean, always totally. analyzing data. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it was like it was wild. I was writing papers on it and yeah. shit. I was passing information left and right. And it was it was one of those things where it was like, you know, when you have the problems in front of you and physicians are telling you i don't know or i've never seen this before or something like that it's like a reality check it's like oh okay well i have a brain in my head let's try and learn sure and then so you start researching down the down through any little nugget that you can find you're like oh does this work does this work oh this might work oh well does it Hmm, maybe does it work over here not really does this work does that work what about this what about that and eventually you just have like a really a binary system in healthcare where everything comes down to, you know, this or that. Yes or no. Did it work? Yes or no. And you just constantly move through it. Sure. And that's basically all you learn in freaking school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, having that humility to say, I don't know. Yeah. That's something that a lot of people struggle with. And, you know, I'll be the first one to say, I don't know. Like, I tell my students that all the time, mm-hmm. and I feel like they give me the same response that you do, where they get pissed that I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. But I've been a nurse for eight years. Um, in the grand scheme of things, that's not a whole lot of time. Right. I've done a lot in those eight years. I've worked, you know, three different facilities majority of the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, oh, sure. throughout those eight years, I've been working all over the place. Um, but it's amazing to see even just how different medicine is from one facility to another Mm -hmm. um, and how it's practiced from each physician, you know? Um, So I heard somebody say this the other day that, you know, if, if you knew, if we knew what we were doing in medicine, they wouldn't call it practicing medicine. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say that in the aspect of like, we're out here doing like experiments, right? Because <laughs> right. we're not necessarily, I mean, there are, you know, experiments out there, but they're controlled studies and they meet all of their boards and stuff. But, you know, for one thing that works for one patient or that works for one physician when he provides care for a patient and he sees or he or she or they, whatever, um, you know, see it repeated that that works for them, that's what they stick to. That's what they're comfortable with. Um, So keeping the mindset open to different ways that medicine can be done to create the same overall goal Mm -hmm. is a huge thing that I feel like causes a lot of that gray area. Yeah. There's there's a lot out there right now. And I Mm -hmm. feel like we're getting, I don't want to say smarter people into these professions, but people that were always taught to question things. Oh, yeah. So absolutely need to question things. And to go on to what you said there real quick, um, practicing healthcare is something where we didn't just invent healthcare and then magically fix all the problems. Sure. We move in a logical progression against time where as time goes on, we slowly incrementally improve X and Y things. Right. So, you know, if having healthcare meant that we fix all the problems, well, you know, we would have just stopped infant mortality. Sure. Now, we made significant progress in infant mortality. Right. But we still have significant infant mortality. 
um, from time to time. And, you know, that's just because healthcare is constantly changing. There's always stuff that goes wrong. And human bodies are not machines. They're a biological creature, which I actually get a little bit annoyed at sometimes because I'm like, why do I have to sleep and eat? Yeah. Yeah, God, I hear you. I just ate or I just slept. I want to be awake, do stuff. Yeah. So... Oh, man. And so we hit the two-hour mark. Wow. That um, went quick. What else do you want to... Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, Not this time. Maybe, maybe I'll come join <laughs> you again and we'll go on to a different soapbox. <laughs> yeah, we definitely uh, hit a couple of soapboxes. Uh, so I think we could wrap it up. Um, thanks for coming down, Nicole. Yeah, this thanks for having great. me. great. We had a um, pretty good discussion there on a wide variety of topics. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll... Uh, We'll get on uh, out of here and we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Neither Boots on the Ground Healthcare nor the host is responsible for